careful what you're saying. Someone could get burned. There's a fatal fire in words. Let's go to God in prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit might help us grasp the depth of what Jesus is saying to us. Lord Jesus, so often we read your word and we know you're full of grace and in your grace sometimes we miss also the seriousness of what you're trying to tell us. The implications today of our mouths, what we say, how we say it. And God, how we want your Holy Spirit to convert our tongues, to make them instruments of your love. And most of us have a long way to go. Begin today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Tiger Woods was interviewed last week immediately after his epic victory, and he was asked an interesting question. He said, the, the, the interviewer asked, what was the highest moment you experienced throughout the entire tournament? I was very surprised what he said. Rather than choosing one of those incredible achievements on the golf course that held us breathless, he said it was the time the night before his last round that he spent with his dad. And he described how his dad that night offered him words of love and encouragement, assuring him that he could face that huge challenge of the next day and win. And Tiger's dad had been doing that for him ever since childhood. When Tiger talks about his dad, he always says of how his dad always says, you're special, you're chosen, uh, you've got a destiny, we, we're, we're proud of you. And, and this made me think of the power of words, either to build up and to affirm and to instill courage or to tear down and to abuse and to discourage. Many observers of our culture are expressing increasing concern about the loss of civility in society and I'm sure we share that concern. When we think of the abuse that people are inflicting on each other every day with words, the loss of awareness that somehow we human beings are connected, we're all part of the same community. Quoting from USA Today, it's becoming impossible to ignore the growing rudeness in American life. An overwhelming majority of Americans, 89% in a US News and World poll last April, think incivility is a serious problem. This is what happens when people lose a sense of community. And I would add, this is what happens when people get disconnected from God. Another writer describes the civility crisis this way, our courtrooms become shouting matches, the internet is riddled with raunch, political campaigns resemble food fights, popular talk shows talk about anything, nothing is out of bounds, freedom of expression is totally out of control, people give free vent to emotions without any thought of fallout, and this lack of civility means I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to do the talking. I'm going to shout you down. I would suggest that this civility crisis is a spiritual problem. And I think we Christians have a huge potential to be part of the cure. These happenings describe, you see, a very dangerous trend. What Jesus says is right, and it's true, that words are powerful. When we become uncivil, we're only one step away from becoming uncivilized. And these facts highlight why these words of Jesus are strategically important, and they're words that somehow we just gloss over. And Jesus said, on Judgment Day, we'll either be acquitted or condemned on the basis of how we speak. So 
let's look at our text. First, Jesus says words are important. Why? Because words come from deep inside of us. Words come from that part of us Jesus calls our hearts, and our hearts are simply another word for the real us. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I tell you that men, and I'll add women, will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. James amplifies this truth. He goes on to say the tongue is a fire, staining the whole body, set on fire by hell. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. That's the issue. And that's what gets us really fouled up with the world out there because we take the name Christian and even we as Christians out of the same mouth have blessing and cursing. And because words reveal the real us, it begins to get serious to realize that God doesn't buy our glib excuses that we often give to each other when we've let our mouths loose. Like, I didn't mean what I said. Or, I was just upset. Or, my blood sugar was low. Or, that person just pushed me over the edge. And the infinite number of excuses we have for losing control of our words. Listen to Paul in Romans as he describes the destructive potential of words. Their throats are like open graves. That's a very descriptive word. And twice in my ministry, I've been at a disinternment. And let me tell you, an open grave is not a pleasant place. And then they use their tongues for telling lies. The poison of vipers is on their lips and their mouths are full of cursing and hate. The scripture is saying our verbal eruptions, blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth leads us to a real question and that's really the point of today. Who or what is the real us? Blessing or cursing? Today we use the term verbal abuse. And that can describe a form of domestic violence against husbands and wives and children or words of harassment in the workplace or children scarred for life by cruel words from other children or by critical words from a parent or teacher. I was sitting in the jacuzzi with my 20-some-year-old son the other day, and he was saying, you know, Dad, I'm going to be scarred for life in terms of my self-esteem by what happened in junior high. We were talking about his days when he was a little on the heavy side, and kids can be very cruel, and that left a permanent dent in him. And then there are words that gush out of us in a fit of rage or jealousy that slander and destroy a person's reputation or they destroy one's self-esteem permanently. The other day a biker unloaded on me as I was out here on Santa Cruz driving and uh, I guess she thought I somehow had invaded her turf on the road but she exploded on me with such venom and, and I was a perfect stranger and I didn't even know what I had done to upset her. But it was right on the edge. Lack of civility is real and it's all around us. And the problem is that many of us Christians are right there with the rest of them. I almost was. My first reaction was to get out the window and tell that gal where to get off because she had been so rude to me. You see, as we seek to become contagious Christians in an uncivil world, we need to be sensitized about the importance of words. And a strategic step would be to seek God's help in bringing consistency between the love of Jesus that we claim is in our hearts 
and the words we use so that there isn't this inconsistency of blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. That's confusing to observers of a Christian. Words can be destructive. A story is told about a man coming to a rabbi to confess his habit of gossiping, asking what penance he could do for his sin. And the rabbi told him to get a pillow filled with feathers, go up on a high mountain, and then open the pillow and let the feathers fly to the uh, far corners with the wind blowing them. And the guy said, well, gee, is that all I have to do to atone for my gossiping? And the rabbi said, well, one more thing. Then I want you to go and retrieve every feather and put it back into the pillow. And the rabbi's point was made. And so is the point of Jesus. Gossip, slander, destructive, critical words are like feathers. They go everywhere. And once spoken, they can't be retrieved. The damage is done. Now maybe we begin to see why Jesus urges us to be careful of what we say. And he, said, and he says, what we say has eternal consequences. Now, at this point, happily, we're Christians, which means we also understand not only the law, but grace. Otherwise, I think many of us could be sitting, including me, in a puddle of guilt right now. The good news is Jesus can forgive and heal the wounds our words have caused that we can't retrieve and that we can't fix. The damage we've done to another life. Jesus can cover that over and blot it out and heal it. But what's important is for us to understand the importance of words and heed the warning and be more thoughtful and care, uh, careful in the future of what we say and how we say it. And one beautiful thing, we can also sometimes go back if we know and something came to mind and ask somebody's forgiveness for what our words did. The psalmist wisely asked God to put a guard over his mouth. Good prayer. You know, I... I was thinking about this, and I marvel at how easily I verbalize an opinion about people, how they dress, raise their children, spend their money, how they look. I have an opinion about everything, if you ask me. And I think most of us do. And it's almost a habit. James was right. The tongue is a fire set ablaze by hell itself. God takes our words seriously, and the only way we're really going to ever get control of this tongue, if it's set on fire by hell, if, if the devil's involved, it's a bigger challenge than we are. We need help, and that's the second truth. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to the Christian to help us change how we speak because the Holy Spirit can change our hearts. In fact, that's the whole purpose of the Christian life. It's a journey after we meet Jesus to become all that God wants us to be, and it takes a lifetime. Paul writes to the Ephesians a portrait of what we really are becoming. If you ask, why am I coming to Menlo Press? Why do I come to church regularly? It's to become a person like this. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion that it may impart grace to those who hear. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's what our community of faith should be for each other. And that's the kind of people we ought to be when we go out into our secular worlds next week. And most of us would agree with Paul, yes, that's what I want to be. The problem is we've been in church a long time and we've made lots of promises and if we're honest our problem is we can't do it. We can't always speak the truth. 
We can't always use our words to impart grace. We can't stop gossiping. We still have deceitful hearts that are in the process of getting healed. But the good news is that as believers, over a period of time, the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural power to exhibit what we call the fruits of the Spirit, Christ-like qualities, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, love. Saw a bumper sticker yesterday. Are we any kinder or gentler yet? And I thought, probably not, but maybe we're more so than we were. We're in process. We are not going to become the profile of this person overnight, but I hope we're becoming that kind of person as the result of coming here and sitting under the Word of God and studying and praying and following Jesus. These are character qualities the Holy Spirit implants in us as we follow Jesus and apply His teachings to our lives. And they're character qualities now that will make it possible for us to make loving responses to rudeness and anger we inevitably encounter in an uncivil society like the woman who shouted me down on her bike thinking I had invaded her turf. I don't have to respond in kind. There are character qualities that give witness that we're a different breed of human being because we belong to Jesus and we're like him and we sort of stand out like lights in the midst of the darkness of incivility. That makes us contagious. I don't think uncivil people like being uncivil. They'd like to be different. And when they have some models from us of people who are different, that's a magnet to at least make them ask what's going on in our lives. Now, to be civil doesn't mean we have to like people or agree with them. The Spirit of Jesus in us simply enables us to see people as God sees them, as people made in His image, part of our community, as people in process with weaknesses like we have, and above all, as people who have value because God values them. And if God values them, we don't want to depreciate them with the abusive words. If I could describe the change the Holy Spirit would seek to bring it, uh, to how we speak, it might be simple things like increasing willingness to say thank you more often. I don't think we say thank you enough. Yesterday, just walking into worship, gentleman came and wanted to thank me for Easter and, and that meant something to me because I thought two weeks after Easter everybody had forgotten it saying thank you is, is such a beautiful gift of love and then maybe seeing more good things in others and then telling them more often what we see I don't think we tell people enough the good things we see in them and certainly eliminating whining and criticizing and murmuring habits that make us and those who have to listen to us miserable. Many are saying America has become a nation of whiners. It seems the more blessed we are, the more we murmur. We don't have to do that as Christians, if we're grateful. In fact, I want to bring the microscope down even to the next power and offer some very specific suggestions of how we might respond to this text from Jesus regarding how the Spirit might make some changes in how we speak, very specifically when we hear a rumor in our church or just in our social circles, we don't have to pass it on. We can let it die. Our text says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. I spend hours correcting information in our church. It, it's amazing to me how stories can get distorted. Stories that shouldn't even be circulating. 
If someone approaches you with the latest tidbit, here's some ammunition of what I think would stop gossiping in this church. And we have a little bit of it. Why not ask questions like, why are you telling me this? Have you talked personally with the person involved? Can I quote you? And, and this is really important. Does it need to be said? You know, if we're, I'm so thankful God's buried the bones of my past in his love, never to be dug up again. And I just challenge us as Christians, we're not in the business of digging up bones of other people's behavior and actions. That's not our job. Our job is to protect them and cover them with grace as we would our own child. Another suggestion. Let's do what the psalmist said and let's monitor our words this week. If you, if you dare, choose a few friends who will give you honest feedback on the impact of what you're saying and how you're saying it. Are we complaining, criticizing, comparing, being negative, ungrateful? You know, it's very embarrassing but helpful to hear ourselves through the perspective of someone else we respect. And wouldn't it be fantastic if the prayer of the psalmist were answered in our church family? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want us to be a church family like that. Another suggestion, recognize a truth. No one has ever been changed or will be changed by critical, caustic, negative words. You and I don't fix anybody. Suppose Tiger's father, the night before his last round, had spent the evening pointing out all of his son's weaknesses, as few as they were, in the previous rounds, and just highlighting where he might have done better. Well, then, rather than being a blessing and his words acting like wind beneath his wings, his negative words would have been a weight and a hindrance. And that's what happens when we try to fix somebody. Another suggestion. When we're tempted to give our personal blessing to a wayward driver or someone in the office or classroom or when a neighbor gets in our face, let's consciously delay our first verbal barrage and ask God to turn our frustration into some form of self-control. Society needs self-control. We don't just spout words. We've got to think of the fallout and what's happening to us. As our text reminds us, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for edifying. And a final idea is almost too obvious, but I need it. Sometimes wisdom would dictate that we ask God to help us refrain from saying anything. As we encounter the obvious weaknesses in our neighbor and the incivility in society. Sometimes I know I just say too much. I say things that don't need to be said. And Proverbs claims that even a fool appears wise if we keep our mouths shut. Good counsel. So this week, I want to challenge us to ask the Holy Spirit to sensitize us to the power of words. And then let's ask the Spirit to fill us with words that will build up and encourage and offer forgiveness and affirmation and gratitude to those around us. And then think with me of the potential impact of about 3,600 of us in worship this week going out into the parts of the world we touch next week and we, and we give the Lord Jesus control of our lips. I believe that decision would make us indeed very contagious Christians, civil people in the midst of an uncivil world. That's what Jesus would have us be. Let's bow in prayer.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the gift of being able to speak. You yourself were called the Word of God. Give us sensitivity now of how to use this gift to love and not to destroy. Make us civil, Lord Jesus, for we pray in your name. Amen.